Hunter Winchester, here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women Podcast, where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 12, where we're talking about My Brilliant Friend and the Elegance of a Hedgehog. Yay! Yes. <laughs> I still need to come up with a better opening line. Do you want to take a second shot at it? No, you can just leave this whole stuff in here too maybe okay. one of our listeners will come up with a great opening line for me yeah they could also come up with theme music and uh, quirky catchphrases and sound effects would be great yeah yeah send us your ideas christmas is coming you love the reading woman you know what was on our christmas list all i want for christmas is a catchy intro <sighs> sounds like you conveyed me anyway hi hi <laughs> Translated books. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about... Uh, okay, so let's talk about... I don't really know that I knew there were so many translated books until recently. It's because we're American. It's sad, isn't it? Isn't it super sad? Yes, I think it is very sad. I think I first realized it when... Um, Alice Monroe won the Nobel, and I was like, how could she win the Nobel? I've never heard of her being the America-centric person that I am with much shame. And then the next year, the woman won from, where was she from? Bosnia? Romania? No idea. Anyway, and then I was, that's when I first started getting into books and translation. I don't yeah, I I did the Modern World Lit in college, and so we did a lot of, they had a lot of classic emphasis, like before uh, 1945, usually older. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that only 3% of books published in English in the U.S. are works in translation as of, okay, that was like almost 10 years ago. So we'll round it, we'll say it's about 5% now. That's But that's still really low. Yeah, especially considering that other countries have a more rounded view of the world because a lot of their stuff is translated. And I will point out, in doing research to find, we tried really hard to find a diverse selection of translated books, and they are a little bit difficult to find because they're not always clearly labeled as books in translation. Or they're just not there, or they're not quality. Like, yeah. Or all the above. Which means that we need better translations for these um, more diverse works. So, Well, and that's why we like Europa editions. And actually, both of the books that we're talking about today are Europa editions. And their website's actually really cool. If you go to their website, you can search by region. So you can find books either, I think it's either set in or written in, like, Central Europe or South America, and then from there um, you can. I, I mean, I saw so many books on there, and I was kind of surprised at the wide selection. And they are top quality translations. I would really love to do more with them because they have so many amazing translations. And um, most to get translated in the U.S., you pretty much have to be an award winner in a different country, so you at least know the quality is there. And the problem that Americans have often is because we're not exposed to other cultures, when we read books or watch movies, we expect a certain style, which is American or maybe English at, you know, most. So Like British um, English, just to clarify. 
Yes. So, you know, we expect a certain style and when we don't get it, we have problems. Like, uh, I struggle with French film. Like I tried to watch Amelie. Sorry, Mary Cornelius. And I really wasn't a fan. And I know that's just because I loved Amelie. Oh, I just I couldn't even finish it. I just don't understand. That's okay. We can still be friends. Yeah. I think that's a good segue to though to the elegance of the hedgehog. I think so, because it is in French. Um so we have we're gonna talk about the elegance of the hedgehog, which is by Muriel Barbary. I think how you say it in French is Barbary or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, I think I just humiliated myself in public, but that's okay. Um, I'm in the privacy of my closet, so I don't feel humiliated. Um, oh my goodness, what we do for books. So, The Elegance of the Hedgehog, just to, as a short recap, if you didn't listen to our last episode, um, it is about, it is from two perspectives. It is from the perspective of Rene. Renee, who is the concierge of an apartment building, and then we have Paloma, who is... Did we decide how old she is? She's 10? No, no. 12? I was between 10 and 12. I don't know. She's precocious, whatever she is. Uh, And she lives with her family and her snobby sister on one of the top floor apartments. We started at the beginning, and they're not friends, and then as the book progresses, they're introduced to one another and find out that they have a lot more in common than they thought they did. Would you say that's a pretty good summary? That's a pretty good summary. I think it's also uh, important to point out that Paloma, part of the whole setup is that Paloma is planning on committing suicide because she feels that she is so smart. She has figured out that there's no reason to live. Yes. Which is, you're like, what? What? Right, because she's like ten, so I I will say that um, at the outset that I found Paloma a little off putting at first because she is just ten and she's like, "What is the meaning of life? There is nothing to live for. My sister is a snob and my parents are self absorbed, so I'm going to kill myself." And that's a little bit irritating. Very irritating. <laughs> You're like, you're so stupid. <laughs> well, and I've heard a lot of people say that they've stopped reading the book because of her and because of those opening pages. Uh, my admonition to you would be to forge on. Just forge on, dear reader. Yeah, I think the voice, though, of Paloma is very interesting because you have the very the older woman who has lived her life and her husband has died and so on and so forth. And then you have the woman at the beginning of her life. And the voices are so distinct. And I think that part is very beautiful, and that's why I kept listening. So as the book progresses, she is um, a new tenant moves in upstairs, and his name is Mister um, Mister Ozu, and he is a he's a Japanese man, and so even that gives a different perspective because it's actually it's kind of like a group of outsiders. So it's like this concierge; she's really smart. And nobody notices or cares because she's not wealthy. And then you have this foreigner, you know, an, a non-native French person, a Japanese person in the bit, the building. And then um, Paloma, who's 10 and feels ostracized from existence. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> dear child. I know. And, like, she's like, I try to, like, 
disguise my intelligence at school because it would just confuse my teachers. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is a good point to talk about the title a little bit. And the title actually comes from an observation that Paloma makes at some, I don't remember where, at some point in the book. Um, and she's talking about Renee, the concierge, and she says that Renee has, quote, the same simple refinement as the hedgehog, unquote. Quills on the outside, but fiercely solitary and terribly elegant within. Um, so that's where the title comes from. And I think you see, you see that mirrored in lots of ways in a lot of different characters. Yeah, and I think that Pullman herself is similar to a hedgehog because she's very spiky and unpleasant on the outside. But as the story progresses, she softens up. And talking with Renee and becoming friends with Renee, she realizes that this woman who's just merely a concierge has a life and has something to live for. And why doesn't she? And she obviously must be missing something. And she gets there eventually. Yeah. And I think this is a good point, too, to transition to do the protagonists in a book need to be likable? Like, do we have to be head over heels in love with them? I... I I would say that no, a character does not have to be likable. However, there has to be something that keeps us reading if the character is not likable. So you either have to have a very good plot or secondary characters or a uh, co-protagonist that is likable or something. Because otherwise, you know, you're not going to want to read. Like Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games isn't necessarily likable, but the story is just so riveting you keep reading. Yeah, I, I agree. And maybe that's the reason this book seems like a slower read in a lot of sense because, or in a lot of ways, because they are both prickly protagonists. I really liked Renee. I do like Renee. She is... I like, funny. Oh, and she's so observant. Like, that's what I love about her. She knows what everybody's doing in the building, but none of them notice her. And one of my f- favorite scenes is when... Um, Mr. Ozud takes her to dinner and he buys her this fancy dress and she's all dressed up and beautiful. And these other women who live in the building, who have lived in the building with her for years, finally notice her. And her observations on that were just killer. Like she's so, and she's like, you know, they wouldn't have noticed, they only noticed me because of my clothes. Like I've been here in this same hallway for years and nobody's noticed me. Yeah, it is rather amazing. I love how like um, she puts herself out there and she talks about her past and it does kind of meander, which I think kind of brings us to the very, I guess, French quality of this book. And it's kind of like baptism by fire as far as translated works goes. In in what way? Um, like if you're not, you, this isn't written This isn't translated, I should say, in an American style. Like, it fully revels in being French. Yes. Yes. It is. Yes. And it is not a bad thing. It just not might. It just might not be the best first book in translation to read. Right. And I would say cut your teeth on something else. But it's definitely worth reading. And the more honestly I think about it, the more I like it, if that makes sense. Like, yes. I think it's it's worth rereading, actually. And um, I think also tastes are constructed. They're, you don't come out of the yes. womb with perfect tastes. And I think that's why we need to read 
books from around the world so that we round out our tastes. And also just because someone tells you this is what's good in school does not mean that there aren't other good things that are different. I agree 100%. We we will spare you from that rant, everyone, but just insert rant about white dead males in here right now. You can imagine. <laughs> add it, add it. Someone on Litzy recommended another book of hers to me. Uh, that they said might be a little bit more accessible as a first read of hers. The and pink cover? Yes. Gourmet Rhapsody. <gasps> yes. I'm so happy. <laughs> Why are you so happy? <laughs> I remembered the cover. It is bright oh, pink. Like, it is beautiful. <laughs> well, was, well, anyway, I won't go down that rabbit trail. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I'm going to read that one in the next year, hopefully, knock on wood, if I don't. If I'm not killed by falling over TBR pile, I plan on reading that sometime next year. So it'll be interesting to compare the two. And we just missed, what was it? Was October Books in Translation Month? or I think it was August? I don't know. September. It was August. I don't remember. We're going to do better next year, too, about having highlighting Books in Translation and Books in Translation Month. Because uh, that was something we really wanted to do, but like... There was just so we wanted to do it right. So we took the time and we read all these amazing books. And so if you have any recommendations or you know of months that celebrate diverse titles, um, like we just learned about Hispanic Heritage Month, like two weeks before it was happening, send us. Please send them our way. I have these acquaintances from the UK that told me that like Native American Month is November. And they told me that. I didn't know it. I'm the American. What? (laughs) What? That's sad. Though I feel like they have a taco month every, like a taco day every month. How come there's more taco days than Native American days? Help us keep track of everything so we can mark it on our calendars. Even if it's something you think we already know, go ahead and send us the information so that we can plan for it and celebrate the diversity of all the literature. All the literature. All the literature. And I've mentioned this before, but if you use our hashtag, TheReadingWomen, um, that's a great way to share books with us. I am constantly searching that hashtag um, for recommendations and stuff like that. So please use it. We are looking. At least I am. So that was The Elegance of the Hedgehog by Muriel Barbary. Now it's time to talk about Audible. Because as you know, most of the books that we read here are actually listened. Because Autumn lives in Atlanta and has a ridiculous commute everywhere she goes. The most recent book that I listened to was A is for Arsenic by Catherine Harkup. Now, I could go on and on and on and on and on about this because I completely nerded out hardcore about this book. Uh, Harkup is actually a scientist of some kind. Forgive me for not saying specifically what kind she is. But she researched all of the poisons used in Agatha Christie's novels and then wrote about them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I came home from work and I was like, Josh, did you know that cyan is u- is the same element used in cyanotypes and in cyanide? And he's like, what's a cyanotype? And I'm like, it's the thing that's used in cyanide. So it's um, it's really good. It's um, She breaks up the chapters in, she gives an excerpt from a Christie book and then she gives a historical context she gives real-life true crime murders, and then she wraps up with the Christie section and kind of talks about how believable 
the crime would have been and where Christy might have fabricated a few things to make it work. And she's, um, oh man, it was just really, really, really good. If you're a fan of Christy or a fan of crime novels or just a fan of science and nerdy things, then definitely, definitely, definitely um, get A is for Arsenic by Catherine Harkup. And the audiobook is great. I think I listened to it in like two days, something like that. Quick read, fun, informative, great listen. And if you want to have a free 30-day subscription to Audible, follow the link in our show notes. And which is you can get that. And you can also and support like the podcast. Free things. And get something for free. I, was just, I think it's time to talk about my brilliant friend. Yes. So I love Elena Ferrante. And recently, this dude, um, well, pause. Elena Ferrante is a pseudonym, in case you didn't know. And she wanted to remain anonymous. And originally, all these Italian critics were like, oh, it must be a dude because it's so good. And obviously, that started an uproar across the world because everyone loves these novels which originally obviously written in italian recently a male journalist was like i feel i need to bear the truth and he went in to these tax returns things and he thinks he's found uh, the real lena ferrante whose name we will not mention because she prefers to remain anonymous and i i didn't read the article i can't remember who it is honestly which is good i didn't want to know I saw the article, and I was like, no, I don't want to know. Yeah, it's disgusting. So he thinks he found the right person. She has neither, den- I don't think she's denied or confirmed, confirmed or whatever. Or I don't denied. Know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But the point is, is that these books, this is a, a quartet, uh, the Neapolitan novel series, and My Brilliant Friend is the first one, and these novels are about identity and disappearing because the first book starts with Elena's friend Lena disappearing and she doesn't know where they are. And so she is like, where did my friend go? And then she goes back in the past and starts at the beginning of their friendship. And that is where it all begins. And it is, it's beautiful. Yeah. Like, I'm going to have to try to find words to talk about how I feel about this book. Yeah, I actually pretty much insisted our entire book club read it. And most people liked it. Some people were like, meh. Because of reasons we'll talk about here in a second. Um, and if you don't like it, that's cool. I mean, you're allowed your own opinion. And also, part of it can be hard to read because the first topic we're going to talk about is Elena and Lena's um, dislike, not dislike, their friendship dynamic. Because Elena's always jealous of Lena and it's like a competition because they're both very intelligent. Elena, I think, is an unreliable narrator and she's actually smarter than the, she thinks she is because she does amazing things. And so they're in a poor section of Naples, and Lena is unable to continue her education after elementary school. Is elementary right? Yes. Well, it's not broken up the same way that ours is broken up. Right. It's, it's like it's the weird. first section, the first section, whatever the first section is. Right. So maybe like after fourth or sixth grade or something Somewhere like, like that. that. Yeah. So she can't go on because her parents won't pay for school beyond that. And so she actually begins studying at the library um, what Elena is learning because Elena's family puts her through school. Um, And their friendship is a fierce one. And in some ways they're very loyal, but Lena and Elena hurt each other very much in different ways. And so they're not necessarily likable. I mean, I think Elena obviously is more, but I think that's because it's from her perspective. I would agree with that. And and Lena also is a very stern, 
fierce kind of person. She seems kind of I don't I don't know if angry is the right word, but she's sometimes mean to Elena, which I think makes her a tad less likable. Yes, she's very fierce um, and can be very sharp. And I think you can see that as that trend continues throughout the four books. Um, and so part of this is a metaphor of two lives of two women. One has the opportunity of education and one doesn't. And they kind of run parallel to each other in how they move forward and their opportunities and their talents and that competition there. And one of the competition is with boys. Yes. Yes. There are these two brothers in the ghetto-ish area that they live in and both have a thing for Lena because Lena is very pretty as described. And Lena has problems with pudginess and acne and, and whatever. And Lena is just so fierce and whatever. And guys basically try to own her. Well, and they try to use Elena as a way to get to Lena. Yes. They befriend Elena, not on her own merit and not because she's smart or not because she's pretty, but because they know that she's best friends with Lena. And so they befriend her as a way to get to her friend. It's pretty horrible that they treat women based on their physicality. And you have um, these kind of like side stories about people in the neighborhood that have like there's affairs and there's like men. And it's basically if you don't hit your wife, you're considered um, uh, emasculate, like, you know, you're not a real man. And it's all these trends that uh, continue the cycle of poverty. And it's very well displayed and described because it covers such a large amount of time, the quartet anyway. Yeah, and I think that's one thing is it is hard to read in some places because of the the violence in the book, and it's not pretty. But at the same time, as we've talked about in past podcasts, it's not gratuitous violence. I really don't think it is. Um, I think it's more of just telling the truth of what happens in these types of societies and um, kind of laying bare the plight of women in these societies. And I was talking to another friend about it, and... Um, it got me thinking, you know, this is how, what life in these type of neighborhoods is like. And yes, there is some, um, objectionable elements you might say, or language and violence and trigger warnings basically, but that's how they live their life. And I think that we, especially as, you know, white middle-class Americans in our, our, your co-host case, um, we are unaware of this kind of neighborhood and how they live their life. And we need to have a broader perspective. So I think this really helps us gain a broader perspective on the lives of not just people in America, but people around the world and be able to make judgments and choices based on that knowledge. If that makes sense, it basically makes us better people. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. And I think that some of the hardest parts to read were the passages where two of two other friends of theirs end up sleeping with these two wealthy boys because they think that it will help their socioeconomic status. And it's so heartbreaking because the fact that Elena does not participate in this behavior is almost, if I remember reading it correctly, is almost more shocking than actually participating in the behavior. Like, you're kind of expected to like do whatever it takes to move up and to, you know, secure financial stability. 
And the only way for a woman to do that, it, it often seems, is for, to use her body because dudes yes. don't, don't care about her brain. And you can see that because when Elena gets to high school, she knows this guy named Nino. And that's kind of like her love interest. And she writes this article and he looks at it and he gets really jealous of how good it is and how good of a writer it is and how brilliant she is. And he like quits talking to her because she, he knows that she is smart. This trend of men being intimidated by female intellectualism continues throughout the entire book and is a major, major theme of the, I would say, second and third books in particular. So it is a huge deal that men can be so intimidated that if a woman is better than them. I also want to bring up briefly the female relationships in this book because there is a point when this cadre of schoolgirls gets broken up once they all start vying for the attention of the boys in the school and all I will say about this is just go read all the single ladies by Rebecca Traster because she talks a lot about how there came a time in culture where where women were pitted against each other and how that's just another way of breaking up uh, how the by dissolving female friendships, we're actually dissolving centers of knowledge and industry and all kinds of things. I I always think about what she says in the book about the eroding female friendships whenever I read stories like that. I'm like, I'm very aware of it now. And it's true. It's everywhere. And it's really sad. And I think that makes Lena and Elena's friendship that much more special because they don't, they don't, I wouldn't say that they'd let boys get in between them, but we might argue that one later. You need, once you finish it, we might have to do a special podcast or something because this, there's just a gold line of stuff. We will, okay, mark it down. We'll do it for our day podcast later. Hold us to it, listeners. If we don't do it within a year or so, let us know and it we'll is, do it. It is amazing. And one of the things that I think, Speaking of female friendships is Elena's with her mother, and her mother has this limp, and it's actually a very symbolic um, feature because it is a physical manifestation of what happens to a woman when she stays in the neighborhood. And so Elena is terrified of becoming her mother. And in a later book, this isn't a spoiler, she like hurts her leg somehow and just twists it and like pulls a muscle or something, and she starts limping, and she kind of freaks out about it. And because she's afraid that that is a symbol of her turning into her mother and that she'll never escape um, Naples, that neighborhood of Naples. And it is just just the symbol of her mother throughout the entire book of the thing that Elena fears the most is just beautifully done all throughout all four books. Just One thing I think, to kind of go back to talk about education again, is the fact that Lena uses her family... She's a girl after my own heart. She uses her family's library cards so that way she can borrow more books from the library than her limit. That is one of my favorite parts. I love that. <laughs> like all of her family wins the prizes for the top read books and it's actually just Lena reading all of them. Which is wonderful and hilarious. <laughs> I also, I'm trying to think of other parts that I really like. Oh, something that I found interesting and we don't necessarily have to include this. Something I found interesting was all the discussion about the language used, like 
the different dialects and how your dialect is a signifier of like the class you are and how like what your education is. Yeah, I really like that because I listened, I heard it on a podcast, I think somewhere that because Italy used to be in different like city states, they each had their own dialect, but then the government was the unified went back and basically decided that this really old version of Italian was what they were going to all speak. So that became their national language on top of all the dialects. Um, and so they equated it as if all of America, the states of America, decided to speak Elizabethan English. Oh, okay. Got it. Because it was supposed to be like Dante's Italian or something. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, so that's why there's such a differenti- a different... That's why there's a bunch of different dialects. And it's a huge plot point. Like, it's a big deal in the book. It made me think, though, about all the dialects in America and how they're actually, we actually have similar struggles in America. Like, based off your accent, people judge you. So, anyway, I thought that the book was, while hard to read in places and while not, like, lyrically it's beautiful as far as a translation goes, it is a flawless read. Uh, you wouldn't know you were reading a translation. Um, it's an easy read, but and it is beautiful, but it is hard. Like it, it makes you think. Uh, and I, I like books that make me think most of the time. <laughs> so I'm eager to dig into the next three. And as an unpaid insider advertising or something. I came across a book subscription service a couple weeks ago called Quarter Lane, and they have a limited edition collection of the whole series. And it's called, isn't it called the Neapolitan series? Yeah. So they have a limited edition set with pretty covers on them. Might be worth looking into if you don't have them. Um, And they are pretty. Didn't I send that photo to you? They're gorgeous. They do like uh, cover wraps. Yes, they're really pretty. So might be worth looking into if you want to buy the whole series. So, um, And it's a subscription service called Quarter Lane. We'll put that in our show notes. We will link. We will, we will set you up with all the links. <laughs> um, so that's our discussion of My Brilliant Friend by Elena Ferrante. And go read them all and tell us how they are, please. Like we... Uh. I feel like we just stuck our toe in the pond. Yeah. Like, we actually do want to hear from you guys. So, please, you know, give us a ring. And we do have a Goodreads group now. And if you want to talk about things on there, we would be more than happy to discuss things with you on there. And we will read your rants and we will respond. And we will validate your insecurities. Yes, because we are your friends. You just don't know it yet. Yes, we will be your best friends in the whole world. I promise. Great, now we're creepy. I know, right? <laughs> so, next month, what are we talking about next month? Right. Well, I guess it is that time to announce. <gasps> oh, yes. We have a big announcement. The Reading Women Awards. Do you want me to say the Reading Women Awards again? <laughs> I do. Uh, we have the Reading Women Awards. Woo! So Autumn and I, like every bookish person, have decided to create our own fantastic literary prize. 
Um, so the books that we have read this year, which is not inclusive of everything in the world, just, you know, what we've read, um, we are going to have a fiction and nonfiction prize of our favorite books. And we think this is important because... As we've stated before, the mission of this podcast is to help introduce you to books and authors that you may not have heard of and may not necessarily have a voice in mainstream media. So we are going to try to rectify that. And what better than a nice and shiny award? Exactly. And besides, everyone would want to create their own award. as like a dream of everyone. And exactly. that's what we've done. And so we are going to have... Um, no, uh, this, what is this month? This, we're going to have December. We are going to have December be the Reading Women Award Month. So when you come back and you listen next time, we'll be announcing the awards and you will be able to see our favorites. Now, I don't know what I was going to say. Anything else? I don't know. No, we'll have more details about that in the future. We might do some special special secret things for some of our fans. Um, we're not sure yet. And we're still working on. on our shortlist, basically, because we obviously cannot read all the books in the world, so we're trying to get in as many as possible and to narrow it down. So as of this moment that we're recording this, we don't know who won. So, Nope, no idea. We might let the cats pick. No. We won't let the cats pick, I promise. No. They no. can't read yet. Poor babies. They're not old enough. One day. One day. Uh, One day. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. So that is uh, the Reading Room Podcast. Please review us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that really helps people to find us, and we'd greatly appreciate it. And if you review us, we will give you a shout-out. And don't forget to tag us in any photos of books by or about women that you want to put on our radar. We do read those, and we will add them to a list and... Who knows? We might just include it in an upcoming show. We are planning our calendar for next year, so we have lots of open spots for book recommendations, so send them our way. And you can find us, as always, me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter, Instagram, Litzy, etc., and Kendra at KD Winchester. And thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Um... Yeah, just thanks for being our friends, our book friends. We love bookish friends. We do. We want all the bookish friends. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye.